Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Good morning. Good to see you all. You all braved the weather to come out. Way to be the church. No. <laughs> Uh, hopefully nobody fell as they were walking in today. It's a little icy. Uh, well, I want to welcome you. Uh, if you're here today, especially if you're new or if you're joining us online, we're really glad that you're here. We're really glad you're here. Uh, I don't know if it's this week in particular or if it's, gosh, this last year, uh, but I feel like I've been acutely aware of a lot more pain and heartache in a way that if I'm honest, my natural optimistic self would rather just try to stuff and avoid. And maybe it's because of what I'm learning in counseling right now, or maybe it's because I have friends that have been brave and honest enough to share through their struggles. But I've been learning that there is some incredible beauty amidst the pain and the suffering and the tension of the waiting and the hoping of life. I can't tell you how many conversations I have had over this past year of people who have just had a hard year, a hard year. And it reminds me of that Christmas carol, O Holy Night, where it says, the weary world rejoices, right? I feel like I feel that so much more this year. I feel that. But as we we know far too well, though some are willing and able to be honest and share, many of our friends and our family, many even here today, are probably carrying some unseen burdens and battling some unseen fights in their life. In light of even just the headlines this week, losing yet another uh, bright star to suicide, uh, Twitch was actually even my age, so it felt a little uh, just closer to home in that regard. He had little kids too. I read this comment about uh, his passing this week. It said, we have to stop assuming people are okay. <clears throat> and we are going to come into contact with a lot of, awful lot of people who are at their absolute breaking point this season. Friends and family, coworkers, teachers, strangers in the grocery store, retail workers. While it may be the merriest time of the year, for some, it's the saddest, loneliest, most stressful, most heartbreaking for so many others, right? So many others. Well, as we know, Advent, it begins about four Sundays right before Christmas, and it really does mark the time where we as the church intentionally slow down to look forward to the coming of Jesus, both at Christmas and his birth, but also looking forward to his promised return. Ad really is just a preposition. It means to, and vent means to come. It's a verb. And we are invited to ponder, to wonder, to savor, and to prepare our hearts for Christ's coming, for his coming. Where God came in, you know, through Jesus and broke into this world long ago at Christmas, but also that the joy and hope of him coming again to make everything new, to make everything right. I mean, the way that our hearts really long for, right? Our hearts ache for that kind of rightness. At Advent, we get in touch with the felt experience of living in between these two Advents. And that's where we are. That's where we're living right now is between these two Advents. I really love what Tara Owens, who is a spiritual director, what she says about Advent. She says, Advent, it's a time to notice our current longings, 
to take stock of them and to consider what's truly in our hearts before the commercial machine that is Christmas in our culture swallows up all of our best intentions. It's a time to embrace that we yearn for something more and to look at what that something more might be. Why would we even want to wait for it? The theme of waiting through the weeks before Christmas pulses with the tension of what is and what is yet to come. Here we step closer to the question of what it means to live with hope in a world of pain and brokenness. How can we embrace the discipline of waiting with wholeheartedness when the world around us invites us to immediacy and escape? What does it mean to move beyond the, the phrase, the already and the not yet, and actually live in the tension of mature hope of what is to come? That's really well put. We don't do well as people in general with sitting with our longings or sitting in the waiting or sitting in the tension of that already and not yet, right, of the kingdom of God. I mean, you just watch people in long grocery lines start to twitch, you know, and, and they're in or long traffic, you know, lots of traffic. People start to get really upset. It's, it's in us. It's hard for us to do that. And, but this Advent, we are joining with those who waited and wondered and hoped by looking at the Psalms, looking at the Psalms, the songs of the Jewish people, which was really their hymn book of worship to God. And N.T. Wright, who is a brilliant theologian, he said the Psalms are among the oldest poems in the world, the oldest poems in the world, full of passion, horrendous misery, unrestrained jubilation, the tender sensitivity and powerful hope. Singing those songs in a strange land kept the Israelites sane and gave them hope. The Psalms were the hymn book that Jesus and his followers would have known by heart, by heart. Jesus would have known these. Today, we're looking at one of my favorite Psalms, which is Psalm 42, and it is a Psalm of longing, and it's a Psalm of disappointment, and a Psalm of hope. And singing, um, and, and really looking at how this must have been sung, it's, it's not a worship song we would have nor- normally sing in a church like this, right? Uh, it is, it is an unrestrained, unrestrained disappointment and honesty before God. But we'll see that it actually models for us how to walk through seasons of suffering, especially when God feels distant, Hmm? Yeah, anyone? (laughs) When God feels distant. How to have hope in God when you don't feel so hopeful. When you don't feel so hopeful. Well, if you are not in a season like this now, like I've been describing, that's okay. Uh, This is, and this can be a season uh, or a sermon of preparation for the future. I would actually ask you just remember this psalm. Maybe go back to this psalm because we all at some point in our lives walk through seasons of suffering and pain. And John 16, famously says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And though this is an unavoidable reality, God does not leave us to walk this path alone. And he provides us with ways to navigate through them with hope. So let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to be with us even more this morning as we dive into his word. Lord, we we do ask just that. Um, We ask for you to come. Would you come close to every person here in the name of Jesus? Would you even meet those that are online right now with your special presence? 
with your encouragement this morning. And I pray that, that your word, word would do that, that you would encourage us with your word this morning, that we would walk out of here a little lighter and a little more hopeful. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, let's go ahead and open up to our passage today. Uh, it is well recognized, actually, that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are actually one song. They were split up later, but they were really meant to be one song with three stanzas, and they all end with the same refrain. And since they are meant to be sung corporately, we're going to, no, we're not going to sing them, but we are going to read them. We're going to read them together this morning. We're going to read them together. Now, it's it's quite a chunk. I mean, it fills up almost two pages on my notes. So, uh, but we're going to walk through it because this is such a great way to, to remember what it must have been like for the people back then. And thinking of Jesus even having this psalm memorized, I mean, this is pretty cool. So let's, let's actually read this together. You can follow along on the screens or on your smart devices or on your Bibles. This is NIV version. Psalm 42. Okay, ready? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Amen. Well, first let's start by uh, just defining a few key themes in this passage this morning. Uh, let's look at disappointment and hope. Uh, 
I was actually listening to a group of sociologists that stated that the primary American emotion is disappointment. Hmm, interesting. They said it was tied to the myth of progress, what we Americans see as the gospel of upward mobility. Hmm? Like we had hoped, right, that our business would make it through. We had hoped that we wouldn't lose our job, that, it would, that we would succeed and, and get promoted. Or we had hoped that our nation would become together rather than fracture apart. We had hoped that injustice would end many years ago. Or we had hoped that our marriage would last. Or we'd hoped that our kids would fo be following Jesus. Or we'd hoped that we would find a spouse long before this. We hope for many good things in our life, right? Lots of good things. And for Americans, This is our, our expectation that life will go well. And then what? Those expectations are then disappointed. That name for that feeling of being let down, that confusion, that angst, that sadness, that's disappointment. And disappointment really is what happens when our expectation of something or someone doesn't match the outcome doesn't match the outcome. And, and really, this passage starts with an image that, goodness knows, we've seen probably embroidered on tea towels and on the side of coffee mugs, right, of a little deer by a stream. <laughs> But actually, this is a pretty anguishing metaphor. Uh, it's actually really some strong words. And this deer is, it's, the deer is literally dying. It's dying of thirst. And this deer is coming to this stream, and there is nothing. There's nothing there. Really, this is a heart that has tasted and seen the goodness of God, knows what it's like to walk in communion with him, but now tastes nothing. He's desperate and disappointed. And the word repeated over and over here is not a word that we use a lot. It's downcast, but it's a strong Hebrew word, and it means dissolved, crumpled, or collapsed. It definitely comes along with that word depressed, right? It's just like just pressed down, nothing left. It's a sense that God is not there, that God is not there. There's a spiritual disorientation and disappointment that's all throughout this psalm. And it makes us go, boy, yeah, have we ever been there? <laughs> I've felt that before, I've felt that before. But then there's also this theme of hope throughout. And let's define that one too. Hope in this passage is actually a command. It's interesting, he says, put your hope in God as he's talking to himself. But what really is hope? And, and I know in America, we use that word a lot. Um, and it means things like, you know, wishful thinking. You know, I really hope that it snows today. Some of you are like, I wish it didn't. <laughs> But, you know, so, or I wish it was sunny today, or I hope it's sunny today. Or, or maybe it's kind of like a positivity, kind of optimism that the best is yet to come. Or maybe it's a probability. Like, well, if, you know, I'm hopeful if I really work hard this year, maybe I'll get a Christmas bonus, you know. And this is the way that we use the word hopeful. And not that that's bad, but it's not really the way that hope is defined in Scripture. The biblical word, really, if you look back to Hebrews 11.1, what does it say? Confidence of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. Biblical hope is life-shaping certainty about the future. Living now in a way that's completely different and completely changed because of what you know is going to happen in the future. Hope is the expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. Hope is the expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. Hope, like Advent, is all about the now, the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. And I love what Eugene Peterson 
uh, says, about, uh, says about hope. Hope is not necessarily about the future. Hope is really about the present. It obviously has to do with the future, but it's a virtue which is cultivated in the present. It fills the present with energy. It connects the two comings of Jesus so that we now participate in them. We're not just remembering the one and then you know, believing in the other. We're participating in the continuity of the comings. That's where hope is all about. You know, humans, all of us, we are hope-based creatures. We need it to survive. We really do. We need it. Now, animals, yeah, survival is enough, but for us, hope is necessity. We need hope that things will get better. Hope is foundational to our lives. And hope is the way that human beings get through difficult stuff. It's how we get through difficult stuff. It's hope that carries us forward. Hope is the way that we human beings live and thrive and not just survive. So then how do we hope in God? How do we hope in God when we feel hopeless? When all we feel is hopeless, when all we feel is distant from God? Now this Psalm is just such a wonderful model for us and it gives us some really practical ways to walk forward in hope, to walk forward toward hope. The first one is really just right there in the beginning, pour out your soul, pour out your soul. In verse four, you see it says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And then in verse eight, at night, his song is with me, a prayer to God, to the God of my life. And verse nine, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? One of the most beautiful things in the Psalms, and I think one of the things the Psalms really teach us and give us permission to do is what? To be honest with God. And to be honest with God about our feelings and our doubts, to actually voice those to God, even about God, to voice those to God, to pour out our souls before Him, to talk to him, even when you don't feel like it, is super hard, especially when you don't feel God, when you don't feel his presence with you. So if God feels distant, if God does not feel real to you, do the opposite of what you feel and actually go to God in prayer and pour out your soul. That's what the psalm is teaching us. Go and pray. You know what it's like? It's like when you walk into a dark room, what do you do? When you walk into a dark room, you don't go, you you go like this, you know, and and you wait, right? You wait a couple minutes. And what happens over time when you're in that dark room? You start to see like an outline of things, right? I do this every night when I go into Haven's room and she's, you know, crying or coughing. And and I'm like, okay, where am I? You know, (laughs) okay, there's the outline of the crib. I think I'm heading in the right direction, right? This is what we do. Well, that's the same thing with times of struggle. We need to be praying into the darkness. We need to be praying into the darkness because then it allows you to begin to see things again as they truly are. This is a really powerful thing to do when you are struggling. Do the opposite of what you feel and pray. Pray into the darkness. Jesus himself, Jesus himself did this, right? He did this in the darkness when he was on the cross. He did this. Jesus cried out in a loud voice. What did he say? Eli, 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 which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's some powerful stuff to say to God. 
And that's Jesus saying that to God. Why have you forsaken me? What else does he say on the cross? Just like this deer, just like this psalmist, I thirst, I thirst. Is God the one that we cry out to when things get dark? Is God the one that we cry out to when things get dark? Now, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. When I'm hurting, I don't want exposure. I don't want to like let my guts out and tell everybody what I'm, I want to like kind of, you know, protect myself, right? I want to, I want to hide away, honestly, under my covers in my comfortable bed. Uh, but that's the one thing that the enemy really wants you to do when you are suffering. He wants you to hide away in the darkness alone. He wants you to be isolated and alone. He will attempt to isolate you always first before he starts to lie to you. He will try to isolate you before he starts to lie to you. He will try to get you away from your church, from your community, or you'll still be in church and you'll still be in, in community, but you'll just go inward, right? You'll start to shut down. You'll start to be, not really open up and be honest about how you're doing. So that when he lies to you, there's not gonna be anyone there to speak truth to you. We need our communities when we're struggling. We need our communities when we're struggling. We need our church family to gather around us and pray for us in those seasons. A church, that's just people you do life with. Who do you do life with? Those are your people. Open up to your people, especially ones that feel really safe to open up to. Open up, be honest with them, pour out your soul to them too, and have them pray for you when you don't have words and when you don't know what to pray. Not only do our brothers and sisters help us walk through those seasons of suffering, but the Holy Spirit himself is said to be our helper and our counselor and really our friend. And in Romans 8, 26, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I love that, wordless groans. Sometimes you don't know what to pray into the darkness. And, and you know what? You know what's good enough? Oh, <laughs> it's a real low bar for prayer, right? <laughs> I mean, as long as you can groan, you can pray. Yeah? Okay, so we all can pray. And I love that that, that, is, that counts with God. That counts with God. When we come into his presence and all we feel is just, oh, like that is enough. He wants that. He wants us to be real and pour out our hearts, even if it's just a groan. So don't shut the Lord out. Don't shut his people out when things get hard. Hitting bottom is actually not the worst thing that could happen to you. You know that? Hitting bottom is not the worst thing. The worst thing is missing an opportunity, missing the opportunity that God is really presenting to you to really build a genuine relationship with Jesus. Don't run from God and don't try to find something to escape into and don't fill your life with just one more thing to dull the pain. I know it's easy to wanna do, I know. But this is a golden opportunity for you to get real with God. In times of suffering, this is when we really are awakened to our need for God, our need for God. And the goal really is that, that in those times of suffering that we would know that we know, that we know that we know that God is there for us, that he really is there for us, that he really does draw near to us when we're brokenhearted. So pray, even when you don't feel like it, and you will start to see things clear. You really will start to see things clear. And the second way to really hope in God in these seasons is to, to challenge your hopes, 
Challenge your hopes. Uh, and this is what I mean. In, in verses 5, 11, and then 43, 5, it all has this, there's three times this refrain, right? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Here the author is actually talking to himself. He's talking to his soul. He's not just listening to himself. Now we're really good at this. We're good at just talking, right? We're good at, oh, this is what I thought and this is what I, you know, I'm just kind of talking, but we're not really great at talking to ourselves. Heather, get it together, come on, you know? Like, <laughs> you, can't, you can't say that stuff. You gotta be kinder and gentler with your words. Okay, you're right, you know? It's like, we don't do that well. We don't talk to ourselves necessarily. Now, it's interesting because he's not just talking about his feelings here. Because I'm really, I don't know that you can, especially in the moment, control your feelings. I don't think that's even very healthy, but he is talking to himself about what his hopes. He's talking to himself about his hopes. He's analyzing why he feels what he does. Why he feels what he does. Timothy Keller says this, and I don't have it as, as a slide, but I found this really helpful. He says, feelings come from what you hope in. Hmm? Feelings come from what you hope in, what you rely on, what you rest on for happiness, for security, and for significance. Let me say that again. Feelings come from what you hope in, what you rely on, what you rest on for your happiness, for your security, and your significance. Interesting. Beth Moore actually says that the Hebrew term for hope literally means accord as an attachment Every one of us is hanging on to someone or something for our security. And if someone or something other than, is, is other than God alone, you're hanging on by a thread, the wrong thread. Mm. Ultimately, whatever you put your hope in is what you are going to live for. It's what you're gonna live for. It's really that simple. Some people put their hope in money. And so that's what they live for. Some people put their hope in their marriage for fulfillment and happiness but as I've learned over the 15 years of being married, my husband is not God. Stop expecting him to be. <laughs> and to dial back those expectations, stop putting my hope of my security, my happiness, and my significance in Adam, right? And my husband. That's hard to do. Or for our children. I mean, these are all good things. But they're not ultimate things. These are good things. Or for our children or our jobs or our health. We start to put our hope in those things. So whatever you put your hope in, whatever, then there's that possibility always of that thing disappointing you, right? There's always a possibility of those things disappointing you. And many of us end up putting our hope in things that ultimately will be stripped away and taken away. C.S. Lewis famously says, do not let your happiness depend on something you may lose. It's in these seasons that we really do have, I think, a unique opportunity to uncover uncover our hopes and what they're really based on, to look at our hopes, to go, why do I feel so shaken? Why is my soul so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. I love that you know, Hebrews talks about hope as an anchor. And instead of being like a kite flying in the wind based on the circumstances of life, my hope is not a kite, my hope is an anchor. And it says in verse 6, 19, uh, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. This is something that cannot be taken from us, firm and secure. We need to reorient our hopes, 
on something that cannot disappoint us. You know, when I was going through my postpartum journey about two years ago, <clears throat> and honestly, let's just be honest, I'm still walking through a lot of that right now. I'm still walking through some of that. I remember telling the Lord, the word that came to mind was just anchorless. And I didn't necessarily have this verse memorized or anything, but that's the word that kept coming to mind as I felt anchorless. For the first time that I can really remember, I couldn't feel the bottom. You know what that feels like? I couldn't feel the bottom and I, I really was not sure if I would ever get better. When I looked in the mirror, I couldn't recognize who I was and who I'd become. And I wasn't sure if I would actually make it through this storm. And if I'm honest, I had never faced that kind of hopelessness before. I'd never tasted it to that extent before. And it really shook me. It really shook me. And I know what it feels like to feel anchorless, to not be tethered to reality or truth, but feel tossed by the waves. Maybe that's you. You're there right now, maybe. You see, the only sure hope that we can have has to be based on something that is what we call the solid rock, not sinking sand, which is Jesus himself. We need to build our hope on something we cannot lose, a real and lasting hope. Edmund Clowney, the great New Testament scholar says, our hope is anchored in the past, which is that Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the present that Jesus lives and our hope is completed in the future that Jesus is coming. He is coming. That is like the best just quote on hope I've ever seen. It's so complete in the sense that this is what we put our hope in. We all need what scripture calls is a hope that does not disappoint us. That's what we need. That's our real hope is that Jesus will return, that we are not alone in this life, that our suffering ain't in vain and it's not without a purpose and that through all of this, we are going to become more like him and that good will come to us in this life and in the next from the very hand of God himself. The invitation of Advent this year, especially, but really every year, is to set our hope back on to its rightful place, which is Jesus himself. Amen? Jesus himself. Jesus himself. The last thing that we can do, so we can, we can pour out our souls, right? We can reorient our hopes, and then we can remember God's unconditional love. We can remember, remember God's unconditional love. Verse six, it says, therefore I will remember you. I will choose to remember you. By day, and verse eight, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I love that. I love that. That word love there, it's actually the word chesed, and it means unconditional, committed, faithful love. That's the kind of love that God has for us. Here he is remembering this kind of love in a time where he does not feel it. He does not feel it. You know, the enemy wants to derail our lives in times of pain and suffering. Look for it, watch out for it. Because he wants us to doubt God. He wants us to doubt his goodness, especially. And he wants us to doubt his nearness as though something has changed, as though he's backed away. But just because we can't feel him. The enemy wants us to turn away from God because we feel abandoned by him. We feel hurt and disappointed. You know, pastor and writer Paul Tripp says, one of the most important things you can do in the darkness is to remember what you learned in the light. Remember what you learned in the light. When you go through hard times or when darkness comes, it is easy to think that somehow God has changed. 
but he is the one thing that never changes. He is the one thing that never changes. Somehow we start to think that maybe his promises have changed. Maybe his plans and purposes for our lives have changed. Maybe we screwed it up. You know, maybe we messed something up along the way. We start to doubt. But, But think about this. On a bright and beautiful sunny day, very much unlike this day we're having today, on a beautiful, bright and sunny day, if you walk down into a basement, you close the door behind you and you're surrounded by darkness, the reality is the sun is still shining. The sun is still shining. That's the truth. The sun is still shining. You're just in a basement. You're just in a basement. You're surrounded by darkness. You're just in a dark time just for a season, you're in a dark time. That's why reading God's word, reading the Bible is so important. We need to remember and be reminded of who God really is and remember his promises to us. That is so crucial when we're struggling. And here the psalmist is remembering the truth of God's unconditional committed love, even when he doesn't feel it, right? And actually, he feels the opposite very much about God. He actually feels very hurt and abandoned by God but he is reminding his soul of the truth, of the truth. In Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's like they knew we'd need encouragement to you know, get through this. It's yes, we do. The whole Bible, I mean, breathes this message of hope to us, doesn't it? The whole Bible does. That's why we need to be in the word of God when we're struggling and breathes the message of hope back into our lives. It says, remember what God has done, right? Remember what God has done. Remember what God will do and has done through the birth of this child here at Christmas. What does it say to us? A child is born, to us a son is given. So as we walk through hard times, encourage you, pour out your soul, challenge your hopes, and remember his great love. Remember his great love. And really my prayer for all of us as we close here, as my prayer, as I was praying for this service and and for this topic especially, this is what came to mind. No matter the season we're facing right now, that our souls would, as in that beautiful carol, our souls would feel their worth. Our souls would feel feel their worth. There's some of you here today where your souls do not feel worthy or feel like they have value at all. Does anyone see me? Does anyone love me? Does anyone care? Yes, that your soul would feel its worth, that there would be a thrill of hope that causes our weary souls to rejoice this Christmas, amen? Our souls to rejoice this Christmas, for we know that yonder breaks, what? A new and glorious morn, a new and glorious morn. We have hope this Christmas because of Jesus because of Jesus, amen. Well, as the team, worship team comes back up, I wanna close with this. I, I just know that there's gonna probably be people either online or people here today where you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. So when we talk about this hope, it feels very foreign to you. Because honestly, if you, if you look at your life, you're thinking all those things in my life that I've put my hope in have disappointed me. They've just disappointed me. They've come up empty or they've just run dry. 
And honestly, if you're there today, that is what, it's just such a beautiful opportunity to look at Jesus and say, you know what? I need you. I need you. And really what, what God is asking of us is just to say yes to him today to say yes to him, say, God, I know that I can't do this alone anymore. I need you. Just forgive me for the ways that I have put my hope in so many other things other than you. And would you, Jesus, come into my life and be the solid rock that I can build my life on from here on forward, that I can look forward to one day being reunited with you and getting a big old hug when I finally meet you face to face. For some of you here, you need to make that decision today. You need to actually pray that today. And I would encourage you at the end of our service, when we have our ministry time, would you come forward and would you ask for someone to pray with you that Jesus might come into your life and be that solid rock from this day forward. For the rest of you here, I would also encourage you, if you are in a season where either you're alone or this particular season is just really hard for you, maybe because of a loss in your life, maybe because of just the season you've been walking through, I would encourage you to check out our and come to our Blue Christmas service. Uh, if, if you don't know, Michael and Helen actually put on the service together and they come Christmas day and they come here at the church 10 a.m. And, and they put on a service specifically for those who are feeling a little hopeless this season. And it is such a beautiful time. And I would encourage you to come out and join us if you're not doing anything Christmas morning. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.